0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of James Bond and Friends. This episode, we are focusing on the American viewpoint on No Time to Die as it opened a week later in the US and Canada. Um, and this week, I am joined by, for the first time, by Melanie from Burb, James Burb on Instagram, Tim Guccione from the No Time to Bond podcast, and regulars Phil Nabil Jr., Bill Koenig, and Dr. Lisa Funnel. Would you all like to introduce yourselves?
1: Oh, hello, hi, Melanie here, Burb James Burb. Um, I have a fun, light little uh James Bond parody with my pet uh, parrot on Instagram. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and uh, just keeping things light. So we all we all need a little bit of humor now these days, right? Mm-hmm.
2: I guess I'll go next. I'm uh, Tim Guccione of the No Time to Bond podcast, a, uh, a fun Bond podcast I co-host with my father, uh, kind of getting his you know, viewpoint on things, being a lifelong James Bond fan, and uh, just, you know, here to also keep it light and uh, have a good time talking about this film. This is Phil Nobile Jr., here to not keep it light.
3: Uh (laughs) I'm the uh,
4: (laughs) Springer of
2: Darkness.
3: Here comes the dark. Uh I'm the editor of Fangoria magazine, so that tracks. And uh I'm a sometime contributor to MI6 Confidential.
5: And I'm Bill Koenig. I am uh I run the blog called The Spy Command. I am also the keeper of the Bond 25 timeline, which thank God is in the latter stages. Uh and uh I'm probably I think I might be the last person on this podcast to actually see the movie. Yeah, I think so.
4: And I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm a university professor, award winning author and podcaster specializing in gender in James Bond and other action films. And I'm joining this particular episode because I am now a US citizen. It happened two Mm -hmm. days ago, so Mm -hmm. I get to be (laughs) America. (laughs)
0: Strategically time to do both reviews. Right. Right,
4: that was right. my plan. Planned so in May. I, I'm
0: looking forward to seeing how your perspective on this film has now changed. And, uh, yeah. and,
5: and do we get to talk about how the uh, US gun barrel is different from the international gun yes, barrel? Yes, we should. Yeah, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's yeah. a
0: few things in here. So what I want to do quickly, as we did on the previous one with the euros, is go in the houses and um, give your, you know, first your hot take on the film um, and what your highlights and lowlights were in a kind of summary and then we'll we'll start digging in after we've gone around the table so melanie as the newbie would you like to kick us off
1: oh sure absolutely um You know, uh, I, I think as far as the Craig films go, um, I feel like this was the perfect way to end it. And I feel in a way the writers sort of back themselves into a corner. I really don't see mm-hmm. any other way they could have ended uh, Craig's storyline um, with this contiguous sort of plan that they had for him with, you know, his love for Vesper and never really getting over that and everything else. So, um, it's kind of funny because uh, when I was asked by a few people what I wanted to see happen in this movie, um, I said, and since we're covering spoilers, I wanted James Bond to die. I felt like that would be – I know, I'm, I'm heartless. <laughs> but, yeah. but not I as feel, heartless as the
5: filmmakers.
1: But <laughs> I, I feel as though Fleming has done this before. He has attempted this, um, and being a bit of a Fleming fan, that's mm-hmm. something that we haven't seen in the films. And uh, I feel like Craig Would have been the actor To have this happen with um, Especially because his films You know, are they're so much darker They are depressing When you leave the movie I- I'm sorry, maybe it's just me But when I would leave a uh, You know I'm, I'm going to age myself here When I would leave a Moore or a Dalton Or a Brosnan flick You know, it's happy, he gets the girl at the end You know, he he you know uh solved his problems and you know completed his mission and everything was all happy but these films they're dark and depressing and you know i expected it from casino because again i'm i am a fleming fan so i knew what to expect there but with quantum and then skyfall it it was just a very dark uh storyline that they had so i felt like this was really an appropriate end um so I, I wasn't really shocked by it. I was pleasantly surprised that they actually did it. Um, I feel the manner in which they did it. Um, it worked for me, my expectations. I think it made sense again. Um, as for what really saved this movie for me was the women. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Every single one of them were phenomenal. And I feel like for the first time ever, this is a film where the women, you know, and we've seen women help Bond in the past before on his missions. But in this case, you had four very, very strong female characters. None of them really needed Bond. Uh, And just to really see them shine, each one on their own, was so thrilling to me. I was so nervous going into it that Nomi, my... Might mm-hmm. turn out to be sort of like a bad guy you know this electric king type where or miranda frost um where she ends up betraying Bond again and I am so thrilled because it was so exciting as as a female Bond fan to go in and being like we've got a female double O this is awesome and to have her just she was such a badass she was incredible and then especially when she um, you know sort of turned her number over to Bond as you know Mm this sign of respect it wasn't that she was forced out of it she had earned it um, and that she gave it up to him um uh on her own was just so heartwarming for me i was actually heartwarmed by that more so than the supposed love story but i'm sure we'll cover <laughs> that <laughs> later <laughs> um but uh but those are just my initial thoughts
0: Alrighty. Um, Tim, would you like to follow that?
2: Absolutely. Um, and I, I would definitely agree with a lot of those. I mean, I do think that the women were a very strong point in this film. Um, and I mean, having just seen the film for actually the second time, cause I was so, uh, grateful to be able to see the film, uh, last week at the uh, early screening. Um, I saw the film again last night. Um, you know, and it, it so it's really fresh in my mind at the moment. I, I do think that, uh, first, you know, major impressions were, Uh, outside of, uh, you know, some of the stuff Mel mentioned, which I agree with, um, are actually I I think the um, kind of, I I think Craig's tenure, you know, you know, has been something that is kind of, you know, hasn't had this like proper structured arc that it needed to have. Um, And, and obviously, you know, and people have talked about this in the past of it, you know, not kind of having the, you know, like the, the, the tight thread that people wanted it, I think to have after quantum, if you're going to have a sequel to casino Royale, then you need to continue off with, you know, with that and go into the next film. So when skyfall came out and then, you know, you go into, you know, now in no time to die, I feel like there is definitely, um, kind of, uh, something that they had to, you know, they did write themselves into a corner. And, um, but I think that it actually benefits, uh, you know, the whole, um, arc at the end. And I actually think that, you know, Craig dying, you know, is something that we get to now add to the lore. like, Oh, James Bond on film has died now, uh, at some point. And, you know, uh, going forward, I think that's, you know, something that's, Continued to sit with me, and uh, it was a very, it's a very emotional experience, and was just as emotional in seeing it last night as it was on the first screening last week uh, for me, and I think um, it will, I think it will continue to do so uh, going forward. Um, as far as, you know, uh, highlights other than, uh, the female characters, uh, in the film, um, even, uh, speaking to my girlfriend last night, who was with me when she saw the film, she was like, uh, Anna Darmis's, uh Paloma was fantastic. Um, kind of wish she was in the film a bit more cause she was just so badass. Um, and then, uh, just, you know, Nomi was just the, the perfect character and you can really feel phoebe waller bridges you know writing in you know all of those scenes um with uh with her and bond um as well as uh highlights were uh cinematography fantastic uh the score it continues to you know it, it I was, I loved it from the very beginning, the Cuba chase, uh, music, especially when, uh, uh, Paloma's, you know, beating up the guys and it really like kicks in uh, and stuff like that. I was like, Oh yes, this is exactly what I come to a bond film for. This is the, exciting stuff that I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, at the end of the day. And of course me, myself being a, uh, a car guy, of course, when the Aston Martin Vantage is on screen at any point, uh, it's, you know, always going to get, mm-hmm. um, you know, my, my heart racing. Cause it's just, to, to me, I think it's, it's superior to the DB five, which we've seen maybe too much uh especially in the craig era and i think it's time to retire that car uh Uh. going forward and see some other stuff um maybe even see you know the lotus you know reappear for some you know for some reason um you know but i think that you know i think going forward even after no time to die we will probably we should i think we'll see a return to um you know singular storylines you know uh for you know four or five films you know for uh, a new actor and, you know, going forward.
1: Let's hope. Yes. <laughs>
0: Phil, you've sir. been waiting a long time, but God here finally here
3: we are.
5: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, James. Not waiting as long as me, but go
3: ahead. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, so there's a thing we talk about in horror movies where there's two kinds of horror movies. There's the ride. That's the thing that takes you on a little, roller coaster, thrills and chills, et cetera, and drops you off where it found you. And then just as often in horror, you'll find uh, what Romero called uh, upturning the apple cart. It's when a horror movie has a uh, gut punch of a thing where normalcy is not restored, uh, where where you are um, uh, confronted with things. It's a lot more confrontational. It's a lot more um, final. And a lot of the best horror movies take that route. The end of Texas Chainsaw, that whole family is alive and free. And and, and uh, the end of Night of the Living Dead, the protagonist is killed very suddenly. That's That's a contract you have with that genre, right? But with this genre, that's almost never the case. And I think that them taking this route is seismic in a lot of ways that uh, we're we're just starting to see the sort of the ripple effects of fans are pissed off, fans are freaked out. I told you off mic, but I'll, I'll mention here briefly that my wife was inconsolable at the end of this movie. Um, it's just not something you think you're going to get when you go into one of these movies. And whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing or is is debatable. But the question that I think we have to sort of get into is whether it was earned. And I struggle with that a little bit because to me, this bond has been obsessed with time, with mortality, with, you know, uh, from what I understand, 00s have a very short life expectancy. Like right out of the gate, he sort of Mm -hmm. knew he had a contract with death. So to me, it's sort of, it should work. But there was something abrupt about the last- Forty minutes of this movie, I think, where it took a turn into a much darker place than it had been for two hours, and I think that was the hurdle for me. Uh, and on a second viewing, that flattened somewhat. I sort of was, I my on the first viewing, my brain was sort of doing battle between what was on the screen and my expectations. Uh, the second viewing, knowing what I was in for, it, things kind of smoothed over s- to some degree, and I was able to sort of. Hang back and enjoy what was happening as it was happening. I think it's this. This movie's given Craig the funniest moments he's had in fifteen years of playing the character. There's a lot of fun in here. Uh, I know you had some some thoughts about the score, James, about how it doesn't get to uh, have -hmm. its own score between cramming in on Her Majesty's and and Casino Royale themes and uh, and the title song. But the the score certainly worked for me better than inspectors did. Mm -hmm. Um, I. I struggled in the first viewing with Safin. I thought he was a bit of a rough draft. But here's my hottest take that I'm going to give you <laughs> is that on, on reflection, to me, you think about great Bond villains and you think who are your best, who are the best Bond villains? And everybody will say Goldfinger, even or even if they say Dr. No. These are the best Bond villains are not anyone you ever think is going to best James Bond. He's going to beat all of them. It sort of works in the in the Fleming uh, mundane dwelling on your own death kind of thing that, that the villain that gets Bond is someone who's kind of bland and kind of uh, arbitrary. I think Bond's death being almost borderline arbitrary uh, makes sense Uh, in the, you know, his, his, his death bringer should be someone kind of underwhelming in, in some degrees thematically. That makes sense to me. Um, so much, it, much, much like layer Cake. Well, yeah, fair enough. I mean, it wasn't that same sucker punch, but uh, that that garden of death scene where he just f- shoots them full of holes uh, before you get to the the uh, poisoning thing. Um, it sort of just made sense that that Bond would meet his end that way, and so it felt a little bit better than it did on the second, uh, than it did on the first viewing. And I'll say, here, you know what I said, it was the hottest take? This is the hottest take. I lied mm-hmm. the first time. The, the hottest take is that this is the uh, u- ultimate pro-social distancing movie. Mm-hmm. Bond, Bond <laughs> recognizes the importance of isolation in containing a deadly virus and... And acts for the greater good. So the, all, all of the right-wing Bond fans who are anti-lockdown and, and against uh, you know quarantine and, and, and social distancing mandates, I want to hear what they think about the end of this movie.
4: And he gets vaccinated and talks about being vaccinated and gets a shot in his neck. Just throwing Correct.
3: it out there, like I, like I'm
1: yeah. just like oh. He's
3: well, that was smart. So you know, you could argue that this is this is pro conspiracy because you know they're, they're injecting <laughs> you things that can track you and whatnot, and and Saffin gives a whole speech about sheeple, and uh, you know, there's a lot to chew on there. Accidentally, I think, <laughs> but I mean, t- you know, time flattens all of these movies, and and I end up finding you know cherry picking the things that I love about them, and uh, and coming to terms with them, and I'm in the middle of that right now, but the first viewing was rough for me. I'll say that. Hmm. Bill?
5: You want a hot take, right? Yeah. Okay, here's my hot take. This movie is the climax of Eon's infatuation with Marvel films. Hmm. Because when when the film was first being scripted, the movie Logan came out, which was done by Fox before mm. it was swallowed up by Walt Disney and Marvel. But And like, oh, he dies at the end. And it was like R-rated. It was like, he got a lot of good reviews. I can't help but think that influenced the scripting in the early stages. And then, oh, um, and then, of course, the proper Marvel Universe, oh, Black Widow died. Oh, and then the big climax, Tony Stark makes the sacrifice play. Yep. And I went back and viewed a couple of the early Marvel films. And there are like at least one, maybe two, where somebody says, Tony Stark, are you prepared to make the sacrifice play? And he eventually does in Avengers Endgame. And so at the end of No Time to Die... Essentially, the Daniel Craig Bond is doing what Tony Stark did with the snap, I am Iron Man, and making everything right at the cost of his own life. And here's the thing the clues were in our face the whole time because I was listening to the spoiler thing of the previous podcast, and it was, you know, it's like here's the thing one tabloid said, Danny Boyle quit because Mm -hmm. they wanted to make him kill off, uh, bond. That was the sun. And then another tabloid, the daily star said, no, no, no. They got rid of Danny Boyle because he wanted to kill off bond. Here's the clue. Clearly killing off bond was on the agenda. And there was another tabloid that was a total guess, but like, yeah, yeah, this was always on the agenda and it was in our face the whole time there's a i believe it was a sherlock holmes story where where the clue was like in front of everybody and they didn't notice it and that's what happened here we talked about killing off
0: james bond two years ago on this podcast (laughs) oh yeah right and um we've heard it from multiple well-connected sources that it was craig's stipulation to do the film right yeah which
3: jives yeah I think Bill's giving them a little too much credit. I think it really boils down to Craig going to watch Logan and going, I want one of those. Right. I want one of those. And like, yeah, I, I was to I was
5: play with that guy.
3: Yeah, like, he was jealous. And he's,
5: getting, and he's getting a lot of good big, reviews. Mm-hmm. I want is, those reviews. This is the
3: end of a big dick measuring contest between him and Hugh Jackman.
5: I hadn't thought in those terms, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and he's taller than me. So like, I got to have a more dramatic moment. Anyway. Mm -hmm. um but just to say i i actually like the movie a lot and um but yeah it just uh yeah it you know it's a very good film and again the whole craig universe is clearly a self-contained thing anyway so when they say james bond will return yeah i'll be returning another reboot version three yeah Mm -hmm. yeah 3.0 so but again It's very, it's definitely worth watching. And uh, I liked it better than I thought it would. I'll just say that.
0: No, It didn't sound like it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, seriously. Okay, okay, well,
5: let me put it this way. Okay, the ending was spoiled for me. Not in a, I happened to come across it on the internet way, but like a guy being like really aggressive with me and telling me this. And Mm -hmm. so knowing that going in and watching the whole movie, I still felt, I still felt emotional. I thought, it, I still thought it was done really well. Mm-hmm. So, like, okay, if, if you go in knowing how it's going to end and it's like great. So, like, I can, um, you know, I can imagine how it's like you don't know it and they hit you with it. Like, oh, it must be even better. Or worse, right? Hmm. Or worse. But, but in terms of the way it was intended, yeah. So, what were your highlights, Bill? Cause,
4: mm-hmm. you
5: know what? My highlight, I've been thinking about this for like twelve hours now. Is like actually the first time uh, Bond goes in to see M after he's come back mm-hmm. and and like Bond is like lecturing M about his drinking mm-hmm. like that's really funny in a weird way, but it's totally it's totally in character in terms of the story. Because M has unleashed this oh, we're gonna like this is gonna be our answer to all these threats and he's instead unleashed this monstrous, you know, doomsday weapon instead, and like other people have gotten hold of it. Like this is a glib comment, but like you could do a fan fiction story about the end of this movie where M gets court martialed by the British government by screwing up like this.
0: Yeah, but then it'd be public.
5: Um
0: I I did wonder why they had to make this scientist Russian, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. pl- playing into some tropes. Um, Lisa, I guess you get a bonus round on this one. Um,
4: <laughs> you know, I saw it a second time, and uh, I think Phil is definitely right about this notion of watching it a second time and having things smooth out. And I've been thinking a lot about what the film was doing and how I felt about watching it being fully in the know the second time around. So, for instance... I think all of the Craig era films, maybe with the exception of Quantum of Solace, have some of the best pre-credit sequences in, in the Bond franchise. I think they're incredibly well done. And I put the asterisks beside Quantum of Solace because of the editing, and I have no idea what's going on. Um, but with this one, I was initially, I was really happy because we saw the point of view and the backstory of Madeline Swan told from her perspective, right? We saw it was her childhood, and it was her childhood memory. And then it moves into to the scenes that we see. But I feel as though the filmmaker... utilized that in a sense against us as an audience because we get told she's a daughter of Spectre. So we're sitting here aligning it with who was that guy? Who was that hench person she got got raised by and now she's connected and Blofeld's connected. And we start questioning her the same way that James Bond is questioning her. I am aligning myself with James Bond and I'm mad at Madeline Swan, right? And then we watch the, the ending and the demise of the relationship. And I'm very much team Bond the first time I watched it. The second time I watched it, after seeing everything that happened, I actually was team, this is shocking, I'm not a Madeline Swan fan, but I was team Madeline Swan. You see her and everything gets recalibrated the second watch, right? So she's having this flashback about being a daughter and watching her own mother die and being the daughter of of an assassin and a murderer and what that experience was like, the dangers from the outside and how they can come and get her. And she's pregnant at the time, trying to reconcile, this is the history that I had. And now I'm bringing a child into the world and I am bringing it into the world with an assassin and, and a spy and a murderer. And how do I come to terms with this? And I need him to put to rest all of this other stuff so that we can be forward looking in terms of our relationship relationship. And it completely changed the way that I read the entire sequence. I felt so much compassion for her begging James Bond, do something. The guy shooting at the window. This is sort of the the Tracy DiVincenzo sitting in the car moment, only there's bulletproof glass, which was very helpful. And there's the threat, the threat at the potential bride wearing white, who's pregnant with Bond's child. And then eventually he relents and then just quickly pushes her off, puts her on a train and lets her go. And from that moment onward, I was very much aligned with Madeline Swan and reading her emotions in a very different way all of the decisions that she made, all of the choices. And it's interesting because there, there's that one scene where Safin says to Madeline Swan, you know, I can come after the person you love the most. And there's a, a shot, a cut to, to James Bond. And I'm thinking, no, it's, it's actually her daughter because the time before when M says, call 007, there was a shot of James Bond. You know what I mean? I feel as though like the film was playing us and peppering in these things. But now that I'm in the know, I watch it again. And it is a, it is a different reading because I have a different context. And I, and I do encourage people to watch it a second time. And I just wanted to take a moment before I talk about Daniel Craig, giving me what I want. Um, This notion (laughs) of fandom, I've heard a few people say that if you don't like this film, you're not a true fan. And I'm not sure who became the gatekeeper of James Bond fandom who decided that... Yeah. Who decided that like you have to like something wholesale in order to be a true fan. When we look at the James Bond franchise, preferences and liking and disliking things are at the heart of our fandom. If we make a list of all of the Bond films, we're putting what we like on the top and what we dislike at the bottom. This is part of James Bond culture. And what I hear from, from fans who have watched this film, who've been disappointed, who are feeling hurt and pain, right? Showing this connection that they had with this, this franchise, how much they were Relied on these films to get them through the coronavirus pandemic. What I hear from them is saying, "Gosh, I'm going to put myself through this 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 trauma again. Rewatch this film to see what other people see." And to me, that is emblematic of fandom. So I just wanted to give credit to them. And just one final comment about some some highlight. I know I talked about the Cuba sequence before. Ana de Armas kicking butt, you know. and, And I think Melody did a great job of just saying, "Like, oh, it was amazing." What I loved about that also on the second watching was Daniel Craig because I felt that he finally gave me a Roger Moore, Pierce Brosnan type of fan the iteration and articulation of bond that I've always wanted from him because he was not weighed down by emotion. He was not weighed down by personal drama. He was not traumatized in that scene. Even though there was a mention of Blofeld, it really wasn't deeply personal for him in that moment. And we saw him engaging in action in, in, in really exciting ways with an exciting partner and they're having drinks and there's banter and there's jokes. And you can tell that there's a great friendship and chemistry between Daniel Craig and Anna armus that makes its way into their exchanges on on camera and for me that was like what i've been waiting for and so i will say i do like i really love the first 58 minutes of this i know it's very specific
0: it's good that it's (laughs) the first hour because then you can start watching it and stop right
4: yeah (laughs) i mean then it sort of slows down and there's a lot of stuff going on and just an honorable mention i know that people were mentioning music look I knew what was coming. I had already been through this. I had already cried my tears. And I was sitting there at the end being like, I am not going to cry again. And the stupid soundtrack, (laughs) it is so brilliant in in the final scene. I did not want to cry. I was weeping like a baby. Like, not just crying, but the... (gasps) of crying like (laughs) you know like the sobbing that was coming out of my body and it was because yes daniel craig's you know doing his thing and madeline swan are doing their thing and and, but it was the music that was like oh yeah lisa i'm gonna pull you and i'm Mm. gonna rip you apart and you don't have any sort of 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 defense against this so just a shout out i know that the music you've got these different pieces but in that moment I felt what I felt because the music beat me up and, and I felt that way. So just, I, I think that that's to me also a bright spot. If music can make you feel something or the intentions of the director in that moment, I think then mm. that's a really great piece of music.
0: I, to me, it was actually Lea City 's performance in that end scene that got me not music.
4: Mm. Ooh. Um,
0: she's very powerful in it. And mm-hmm. I, not many people were following the tabloid photos on, on set and stuff and I get that because people don't want spoilers but like two years ago whenever it was when they filmed that scene on the rocks of the south coast of Italy there were some paparazzi photos of Leo Sadu doing the scene with the walkie-talkie right mm-hmm. and when you don't know what context that's in it was very easy for the reporter on the Daily Mail or whatever who's writing the captions because it looks like a behind the scenes shot on a walkie-talkie right like you're talking to the crew but a shot, and she was very upset and it was like that She had a fallout with the director and all this other kind of <laughs> stuff, right? Because like, I know they actually captured the take. Wow. Wow. Uh, but they misread it as people arguing on set. But um, that just popped into my head when I was watching it. But um, I, I thought it, she really kind of put it all on the table mm-hmm. on this one, it, which surprised me in interviews afterwards, which they did in like early 2020 when she said, oh, no, this is just like popcorn entertainment. It's not really like the other movies I do whereas Craig was leaning into the whole, it's, it's an emotional journey kind of thing. And Leia Sadu was like, yeah, you, you know, so it's an action movie. Um, I, I thought she, I, I don't know what the fans are going to think generally, but I, I think as far as a performance goes, I think she, um, she did a tremendous job mm-hmm. and kind of, you can go back to Spectre now and see that film a little bit differently. I think.
2: Hmm. I, I agree with that. Actually. Um, I always felt that when, uh, even watching um, Spectre for the first time, I was like, there's something about this that if they kind of maybe double down in the next film a little bit, then I think we could actually have something really special. Um, And even in that, uh, that train scene um, in, in Spectre, when she's talking about, you know, you know, kept the, the Beretta under, you know, underneath the sink with the bleach. I'm like, I kind of want to see what that scene is like. And I, I have a feeling that, you know, Kerry Fukunaga mentioned, you know, seeing Spectre and was like, oh, there's so- something here as well. And I think that was probably a scene that got to him and something that he wanted to see as well. And I think that, you know, was a really good basis for, you know, um, you know, kind of expanding on and into this film and really look- looking more at Madeline's backstory and what it's like to actually be like, you know. Uh, like be the daughter of you know uh, of an assassin, and I think that was really uh, a strong a strong point um, in, in the film. Abs- uh, absolutely, um, and uh, you know I think I don't I don't think we'll we'll ever get anything very much like that uh, in the future that'll be uh, written any better than they could have written it here. Mm. But I, I could be wrong.
0: And <laughs> um, we put out a poll um, this morning. Um, for people in the States and Canada who saw the film to rate it. And we have several hundred votes. Um, Four out of four stars, 61%. um, Three three out of four stars, 26. And then one one star and two stars, 6% apiece. So within the hardcore fan community who check Twitter every day about James Bond news, 60% rating it four out of four um, is a little bit lower than I thought it would be given the reactions from Premiere Day well wow. um, and people have some people have seen it more than once by now right so of people but the the folks, that have, on it?
3: the folks that have seen it James they're they're seeing it in in uh, contexts that that are uh, heightening your emotions and your and your excitement uh, whether that's a royal premiere whether that's a a mm-hmm. screening by one of the uh, promotional partners you know there, there's all there's a lot of champagne flowing at these uh, events i feel like <laughs> And, um, and I've been to them and I get it. I mean, not to, not to the bond stuff, but you know, you, when you're, what we call it in, in the sort of the the film festival world is when you have festival goggles on and you're, you're watching a movie and you're sitting one row over from the guy who directed it or or near somebody who was in it. And, and you're, you get caught up in their excitement and you, and you want to be part of that moment. And it, not, not to say you're lying, but that energy informs and, and infects your opinion and you get, you get the, uh, the Fest goggles on and you get excited and you, and you maybe rate it a little more highly than you were if you were being a little clear-eyed or paying to see it in some shitty multiplex somewhere.
0: Mm. No um, multiplexes it, are shitty. But, um. Correct.
5: <laughs> well, can I insert a little bit of reality here? Um, the Thursday night preview show, showings in the US was 6.3 million. And that's very solid. Very good. But It, it a, was very solid, except for last week. Except, well, a week ago... Venom 2 was 11 point something mm. million. Mm. So, I, you know, I, I, apparently, you know, Bond is not as big in the US as it is elsewhere, but the US is a big market. So, I just wanted to bring that up. It's yeah. like it's not as excited here in the US as it is in, well, obviously in the UK and other markets. Um, Obviously, Melanie and Tim, you got to see
0: it, you know, same days as some of us did like a week last Tuesday, whenever it was, Um, Mm -hmm. having seen it a week ahead of like civilians, as they're called, um, (laughs) how do you think the delay in the States of the week after the big publicity in the UK and Europe launch Mm. has affected excitement Mm -hmm. over here? Because it's myopic to me. I'm too close to it. I can't
1: judge. I, I would love to share a little anecdote with you because um, because I saw it a week you know a week before the rest of the U S did I was in a theater with a bunch of journalists um, not huge James Bond fans and I found that really interesting because I felt as though it represented the average U S moviegoer right who might be you know. They enjoy action flicks, might not be a huge James Bond fan as much so as like um, the entire population of the UK from what I gather. <laughs> but, um, but what was so funny is sitting in front of me were three journalists chatting back and forth to each other. And um, this goes to what you were saying as far as the numbers aren't as great. Uh, the three of them The uh, guy number one turns to uh, the other fellas and they're chatting. You know, clearly they know each other from some type of trade association, the way they were talking about the different jobs and assignments they had. And guy number one turns and goes, okay, hey, before the movie starts, um, James Bond's wife is back in this one, right? Guy number two goes, oh, no, 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 it's not his wife. Uh, The girl is Madeline. Um, His wife was actually in the first uh, Craig movie. Her name was Vesper. Guy number three turns and goes, wait, Vesper? I thought Vesper was a drink. (laughs) And I I got the hugest kick out of that as a fan. But on the other side of that, I was like, this is representative Mm -hmm. of the average moviegoer, the casual Bond fan. Yeah. Because keeping track of this storyline, like I said, this contiguous storyline over the course of 15 years we have had this soap opera of a story um an absolute greek tragedy i'm sorry (laughs) Mm -hmm. and most moviegoers aren't going to be able to keep all of this straight they see it in the theater and it's i mean i I only saw specter once six years ago um i'm ashamed to admit that um I own it on Blu-ray and I had every intention of watching it before I went to go see No Time to Die. And now I'm glad I didn't because I feel as though I got, you know, an authentic experience of probably what most Americans are experiencing. Spectre was pretty much forgettable. You could follow No Time to Die without it. Um, But again, this having this singular story arc over the course of over a decade you know they're they're really messing themselves over and yeah. uh, i agree with what all of you have said let's pr- let's pray that they go back to these one and dones uh you know uh, let's make bond fun again please yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> i just want like to go to the hashtag yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i want to i want to go to the theater have a good time and i think especially now after these last couple of years that all of us have gone through you don't want to pay 20 bucks and go to the theater and leave just feeling so Disheartened and Mm -hmm. depressed. We've lived through this the past two years. Give us something to cheer over. Sure.
3: And Melanie, you know it's not Mm -hmm. it's not just like won't someone think of the casual moviegoer? Like that's that's true. And they they should have like heard that conversation before they invested in like another movie with Madeline Swan. Who like people, you know that's it's a hard sell to. I think continuity is the enemy of this franchise. But for the hardcore fans, this is even harder to swallow because. You know, used to be, you'd get if you got a bad Bond movie, it had no bearing on whether or not you'd get an excellent Bond movie the next time. You know, Mm -hmm. but but throwing throwing good money after Spectre is a a, a dicey proposition. And and they and I was really kind of stunned when we started to get the casting news and the announcements, and I was like, really, we're going back to Madeline? And you know, to James's point, she does a pretty good job of acquitting herself in this movie, but it is a big, big ask for whether you're talking about casual moviegoers or hardcore Bond fans to give a uh, single it, flying yeah. crap about Madeline Swan. Yeah. It was a big hole yeah. to dig
2: yourself out. Yeah. Right? I have to say my theater experience, I think was a little bit different than, than yours, uh, Mel, because I actually, um, got to see it with two fellow, uh, Bond fans. Um, and on top of that, it felt like some of the people who, are um, Probably were reporters, maybe even not reporters. Um, were definitely bigger Bond fans. Uh, at least at, at my screen, I even had one guy came in. I assumed he had some colleagues or somebody, you know, that was there, and he actually even did like his own like, uh, gun barrel thing in the front of the theater before it started, which I thought was very <laughs> funny. Um, and I was like, okay, so this, this, it was a good, it was a uh, better mix of people. But the theater wasn't entirely packed. Uh, for it, I even had somebody sitting next to me who was um a magician. Um, and I'm like, okay, I mean, I don't know. It was like a very interesting mix of people. So I was uh, kind of surprised about that, but I think, um, something I did notice, um, in certain, uh, scenes, uh, in the, in the, in the premiere screening versus the, um, uh, screening I saw last night, uh, which was a better, you know, more of a, you know, regular movie going, uh, experience. Um, I, I noticed that people laughed at a lot of the same lines. They enjoyed a lot of the same bits. They clapped at a lot of the same moments. Um, so it really definitely was, uh, a different, um, uh, experience for both screenings, but I, I did notice, especially the, the scene, um, with, uh, David Dennyx, uh, character, uh, early on when they're, you know, the, the smallpox, uh, soup, uh, right. bit, which I was like, eh, okay. But people were laughing, I think partially because it like, they were like, okay, this is kind of funny, but it's also like, you know, a little bit dark at the same time, you know, with mm-hmm. COVID still, you know being a thing and it's it's like it was it was it was interesting to see that parallel and wondering you know what people would react to uh at each screening it was very much the same
5: how how was your audience bill
0: um
2: uh, well again this
5: was a um this was an organized thing where it's like like it was about 20 people so like wasn't a regular screening but it was mostly positive um I had four of my, I had three of my friends with me, and so they all liked it. um the wife there was one couple, a friend whose wife couldn't make it and me, and like the wife of the one guy he she loved it. she thought it was really fantastic and and overall i in the murmuring of um in this theater was they they killed him, they really killed him. So they were caught off guard, more or less. Now the guy who hosted it, Jim from Detroit, who uh, listens to this podcast, um, he was less enthusiastic. It was kind of he felt that uh, they were kind of following the Marvel thing about killing off the lead hero, Black Widow, Iron Man, Logan, etc. Um, but overall, it was positive. It's like, but I think it did catch people off guard, like. They really did? Really? And, yeah, so it was interesting. I had trouble, like, watching the uh, end titles because, you know, people were chatting so much about it. And I had to actually say, I pointed at the screen, it's like, okay, be quiet, because we're going to see the James Bond Returns thing um, at the end. But, uh, yeah, no, but they all had a good time, very clearly. But, you know, it was, like, mostly positive. You were
0: with some general public, right, Phil? Yesterday,
3: yeah, it was a it was a, an Omega event, so it was a lot of you know just folks off the street who, who were excited to watch a free movie. I think, um, but <laughs> but my my first screening was um, it was a very weird screening in Texas. It was press and cops, uh, which was an interesting huh. blend. Uh, you know, shout out to law enforcement, but uh, um, I guess they just wanted to do something nice for the cops. Um, but you know. To, to the UK versus America thing of it all, I watched it with a British film critic and an American uh, uh, podcaster who's a, sort of a casual fan. The American really liked it a whole lot more than I did on that first viewing. The Brit loathed it and said that UK audiences are going to riot. And that has not, <laughs> that has not <laughs> borne out. But you know, it, it, I, it, maybe it was him who said, or maybe someone else, but someone said, you know, it's like they killed Santa Claus. It's, there are yeah. some things you just don't do. And- he was really caught up in the thing i was talking about where it just felt like you know how how much can you bend something before it breaks and did they break it um so he 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 was firmly on the i mean loathed was the word he used um based on,
5: based on your description i like imagine these british people like with wads of cash in their uh their hands i hate this movie Take my money now. (laughs) And such small
3: portions.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Just like like our (laughs) listeners who give us one-star reviews but come back every week. Um, Love you. Shout out to those listeners. Thank you for listening. Um, (laughs) I have had reports of booing at the end of UK screenings. Yeah.
3: From multiple folks.
0: So I don't think it's conspiracy to make something up. I honestly think that probably did happen. You know,
3: to 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 me, part part of the the hard pivot of of watching that last third was how it just felt like watching something swirl down the drain because because you were so buoyed by the things you'd been waiting fifteen years to see that that interrogation he had with Blofeld. As much as I was against bringing Blofeld back, next time you watch this, if you watch it again, I don't I don't know, maybe Melanie, if you're going to crack it open another time, are you going to give it the Spectre treatment and only watch it once? But um, the the this the dialogue that Craig has, and the delivery he has. He's so Roger Moore in that scene, mm-hmm. and he's so like sarcastic and and sm- almost smug. And it to me, I closed my eyes and I could literally hear Roger Moore saying those lines. And when has when has Craig gotten to do that stuff? It was so exciting right. to watch him finally get to sort of color in the the un, unused parts of his Bond map somewhat, uh, and then to to see. Where it was going at the end, there was such a sinking feeling in the first viewing you know you, you
1: know you know Phil uh, that's a really interesting point and uh, this is something that I've said with Craig as far as the funny lines go. Um, when you look at Roger Moore, his movies in general obviously being a lot lighter and funnier mm. it was so much easier to have a movie like that and for him to fit in these sort of dark parts in Live and Let Die and even the way he treats Andrea and the man with the golden gun and some of these other things. It's it's easier to watch someone who overall tends to be a more jovial character and then has these darker moments than for me to try to watch someone who's dark Uh and then trying to force comedy in. I've just never felt Craig has done that well and so I I appreciate what you're saying Phil as far as he had these sort of Roger Moore funny moments for me it was so off-putting and felt so out of place because the movies in general are so much more serious and um and I find it doesn't the coin doesn't you know, it doesn't really flip that way. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I hear you. And, and <laughs> the funny parts that he's done really well, like if you look, if you go back to Casino, the whole part with shaken or stirred, does it look like I've given it? you know, does it look like I give a damn? It was said very serious, very snarky, very, you know, um you know, the way he delivered it was so strong, but it wasn't done the lighthearted, jolly, funny way that like more would pull off a line, right? Yeah. It was it was out by Craig and that's why it was successful and funny um, and, and now you you look at this movie which again had a very very serious tone overall and um, you know moments before he dies he's making the joke about uh, Cyclops with the eye and you know mind-blowing yeah and I'm like uh, it doesn't sit well with me. And unfortunately, what ended up happening for me is Bond's huge death scene was corny. Right. And I feel I feel terrible. I feel badly. I literally laughed when he shot out. I could feel it coming. I was like, don't say it. Don't say it. And the minute he said, you have all the time in the world, I literally went. <laughs> 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 it, was, it was just so... Cheesy to me, and and I th- and again, I think that was because they were trying to fit in these forced moments of funny.
3: Sure. Well, I think we're talking about two different things though with the funny thing. So, like he, the one-liners, I I get that that's a weird fit and doesn't it? He's never been great at the one-liners, but I'm I, you know j- just to clarify, what I'm talking about is that scene where he's just sort of like goading Blofeld when he's talking about there we Uh, were there we were at this party you had the noose around my neck happy (laughs) birthday by the way and uh, like just something about that entire exchange just it wasn't one-linery but it it did have the sort of like the the smug uh uh taunting yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i just love that moment so much and you know as far as the ending cheesy i mean i think a charitable word would be melodramatic uh and i i'm i don't shy from melodrama i'm a big douglas Sirk fan so that's all fine with me it's just a matter of whether or not they earn that moment in time and i think that's where it wobbles for me because i felt like had had they taken the steps necessary to get to that exact moment it would have landed so hard and so perfectly but it kind of uh it's it's still a, still a wobbly fit For me,
1: I I see, and I'm I'm so sorry I mis uh, misinterpreted, and I and I totally agree that scene in Cuba. That was, I mean, the scene of the film. Loved that. So good in Cuba. (laughs) Can I
5: say say something like a little broader perspective here? (laughs) Like throughout cinema, there has been what I call the hero's last stand. It's a bit. It's been in biblical movies. Um, it's been in westerns, but of course. Biblical movies and westerns aren't popular right now, but they are popular in comic book movies and they've like embraced that. Um so essentially this is not totally brand new territory. Actually, not totally brand new. It's like not brand new, it's not new at all. But like, you know, but that's the thing though. You everything gets like, you know, rehashed and and like put in a new way. So, um, yeah, what happens here with Bond dying has been done before, where the the sympathetic hero dies. There's this one Western called Ride the High Country with Joel McRae, where he dies. It was like, um, I'm trying to think of the biblical movie with uh, Cecil B. DeMille, uh, Samson and Delilah. And like, but, you know, it's like, so this is not a new idea by any means but the whole thing is like how do you execute it i would say this movie more or less executes very well but yeah it's just you know read up on your mm. movie history kids it's well, like
0: I, you know biblical movies i mean you know spoilers right you can't exactly yeah, they're not going to be a surprise at the end no no um i i kind of disagree with you bill cuz i i think um all right, go on to the premise that Craig said, Bond has to die at the end of the movie for me to do it, right? Which we've been told is the case. They're never going to come out and confirm that. No. So that puts the writers in a bit of a pickle, right? Because you know, you know where you have to get to, right? A lot of thriller writers say they don't know the ending when they start their books, right? They, they find it along the way. Well, here you knew where you had to get to. Or as Fukunaga would say, like the checkpoints, right? Um, they could have handled a lot better. Uh, I think it was, Lisa, did you say this last week? It feels more like a suicide than a mm-hmm. sacrifice. Yeah. And I have come up with a way of fixing it, but we'll save that for another episode. Um, <laughs> it, it seemed very, um as you say melodramatic is a kind word. <laughs> it, it was a bit grandstanding for me literally standing on top of the rock
4: literally grandstanding <laughs> well, well, <laughs> right.
1: well
0: just to be clear not i'm just climbing
1: uh, up that ladder like he was descend- <laughs> like going up ascending into heaven right well, i'm well, just that's saying,
0: actually the name of the sound
5: the track on the soundtrack is final ascension
0: right think, isn't right,
1: right? I'm, not, I'm just
5: saying the <laughs> end result is not you know has been done before and been done very well so like when you evaluate this movie, it's like how well did they execute the idea this long standing idea and again, going back to what I said earlier, like the clues have been in our face like two you know three, four years ago
4: but I do agree with with James that they had their final destination, and they work their way back and for me, I guess melanie i don't just i don't really have the same opinion about the humor in the end, although I almost got kicked out of one of the Spider-Man movies for laughing at the wrong time. <laughs> you know, I even mean? you have those moments. So, I mean, I can definitely relate to that. But I felt as though what they were trying to do with this film, and 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 I, one of my big frustrations was all of these callback references. And I've I've been thinking about this end, and I've interpreted it through two different films. So there's the Honor, Majesty, Secret Service kind of moment. And yes, you have all the time in the world, but it reminds me a bit about the pre-credit sequence in Honor Majesty Secret Service. And I see these two films as bookending each other. So you have George Lazenby sitting there stepping out of character, looking at the fourth wall, saying, this never happened to the other fella, looking directly into the camera, right? And then I feel as though Daniel Craig had that moment at the end where Madeline uh, Swan is looking off camera. like She's not looking in the camera, but it's Daniel Craig straight on showing us those those big blue eyes, crying and saying, I love you. I feel as though in some ways we could interpret that as him also having the, this never happened to the other fella, and I get to leave, um, and I'm leaving this film, and I'm sad about it. Which leads me to my second reading, which is a view to a kill gives me the best reading. So basically coming into this film, there were all these conversations about will Nomi be like Mayday, right? Mm -hmm. I actually think that Nomi, because, you know,
0: it, compare a black female character yeah. to the other black female character, you know. Yeah,
4: but I actually think that Nomi played more of the James Bond in that film, and uh, James Bond, played by Daniel Craig, did more of the Mayday role. And so basically, like, in A View to a Kill, it's Mayday who does all the physical labor. James Bond just stands there, and she's doing all the physical labor, and then James Bond stays behind, and 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 Mayday takes the crane out and has this moment where she, she looks, and there's this... Uh, shot reverse shot, almost like it's a conversation between Mayday and Zoran. And then the explosion happens. And I've argued, she's the only character who's left a James Bond film on her own terms, making a sacrifice, you know, and and, mm. and and not having somebody kill her. And so when I think about Daniel Craig in No Time to Die, he is having his Mayday moment, right? He has sent Nomi away. He's doing all the physical labor. There's a really great uh, long take where he has the fight in in the in the stair sequence yeah. where it's just it's all one shot, which again would have been better if they would have pulled that camera just slightly out more to see the bodies in motion. But they sort of are, are doing the aesthetic that happens with Atomic Blonde and a couple other films, giving that to us. And then of course having this ending where he is sacrificing. But it's interesting because much like Mayday, yeah, she's she's completing the mission there, she's doing it as a big like F you to Zoran. It's deeply personal, it's based on a relationship. Uh, why she's exiting the film and making the sacrifice that she's making. And she wants it to hurt him. And I feel like that's what Daniel Craig's James Bond is doing as well. He's not necessarily dying for queen and country or to save anything. He's not holding a lever or a mechanism. He's dying to save his family, which brings back that idea that families are unsustainable in the world of James Bond because it causes you to make decisions in service of them rather than queen and country. So I think a view to a kill actually gives me, a better sense. Whereas I felt like they were just trying to hit me over the head with Honor, Majesty, Secret Service, this entire right. film. And I don't like being told what to think or feel. And I felt that the filmmakers were really like, mm. just even the last couple films were, I'm going to tell you what to think. And I'm like, eh, no. no.
0: Not a coincidence then that Carrie Fukunaga's first Bond film in the theater was A View to a Kill.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: There that, we go. Was, that was that was my first in the theater as well. And yeah. uh, seeing Mayday on the big screen, she's been my favorite Bond girl ever since. So I love the way that you framed that, uh, Lisa. That's fantastic.
0: I, I think the No Time to Die comparison of Bond's death to Mayday would be as if Mayday saw a can of WD-40 and a bungee cord and was like, you know what? I'm just going to hold it down instead.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it <laughs> is less heroic. I'll put, I'll put it that way. But <laughs> yeah.
3: James, did, Le- did Lisa accidentally... Uh, stumble upon your your fix when she said that oh. he could have looked into the camera and said this never happened to the other fellow before he died. No, no. But it has. But it has. It, it has a mayday and a callback element. Kind of, um, I mean, that would there. have been like amazing. I would have run out of the theater. Um, I think George would basically be able to throw his
0: shoe at the screen. To,
3: to, uh, <laughs> to Bill's point, I just want to add something. I I, I quoted this in, in the review I wrote, but I can't, I, I'm not so obnoxious to assume that everyone read the review that's listening to this podcast. But a- Alan Moore wrote a, a forward to um, Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns back in 1986. I'm just going to quote it real quick. But. Um, So he says, Miller has managed to shape the Batman into a true legend by introducing that element without which all true legends are incomplete, and yet for some reason hardly seems to exist in the world depicted in the average comic book, and that element is time. All of our best and oldest legends recognize that time passes and that people grow old and die. The legend of Robin Hood would not be complete without the final blind arrow shot to determine the site of his grave. The Norse legends would lose much of their power were it not for the knowledge of an eventual Ragnarok, as would the story of Davy Crockett without the existence of an Alamo. And I think that's what they were going for here. They wanted to turn him into myth. They wanted to render him into, you know, give him the the uh, the conclusion befitting a, a modern myth. And I think we're all just struggling with how well they did or didn't do that. Is there is there a way they could have? And that's back to James' secret uh, fix that he's not going to tell us on this episode.
0: And you have to tune in next week. <sighs>
3: Fine, <laughs> what
0: time. But but you talk about Bond becoming a myth. Um, mm-hmm. so then could could they get Craig back to do one in flashback as Madeline is driving telling the story in the car to his daughter I, I mean
4: probably
1: we're gonna have like these we're gonna have this uh, the next one will be like Princess Bride reading in bed <laughs> so
3: um uh, so, someone in my DMs, I hope they don't mind me quoting this, but, you know, I didn't ask for this DM, um, <laughs> but uh, they're, they're on Twitter under Sam Rose Watson. Go, go ask them. She said, so the ending of No Time to Die suggests that Craig's Bond is Bond as it actually happened, and everything else, pre-Craig and or future movies, is second, third, whatever-hand narration. Let us further assume that each Bond actor, right. each bond actor is the result of a specific narrator, and the narrator pool consists of everyone in the final scene, M, Money, Penny, Q, Tanner, Nomi, and Madeline. Who, which of these characters is the narrator of each actor's tenure? And this was, at, I got this at midnight and I said, I'm going to bed. I'll think about this.
5: <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> but, a good
3: question. I mean, do you, do you see what she's asking? She's like, so, yes. so Bond is, this Bond was the, the, Bond, the real Bond, and now he's a myth, and that everyone is telling the myth of Bond is telling a different version. Like somebody that we left in that movie is, is their version of Bond is Connery, and someone's version is Lazenby. I, I think this also leans into the Money Penny Diaries concept. Mm. which um,
0: Samantha Weinberg wrote, um, where Moneypenny was the narrator of some of the stories, which is, a bit, I think, a clever hook.
3: Um, I, said, I said maybe Lazenby is the daughter because it's sort of like a half-remembered. There was some phrase about all the time in the world and right. somebody got shot in a car. You know, like It's sort of like someone half-remembering something their parents told them.
4: But I do think this notion of telling stories, this was an idea I had earlier today. Um, This is a film, like diegetically and non-diegetically, and when I look at some of the media, about women telling stories. You have Madeline Swan giving us her perspective at the beginning. She's the one telling the story of James Bond at the end to her daughter, And we think about Phoebe Waller-Bridge coming in and helping to write the story. And we have Barbara Broccoli as the producer who's been telling the story of James Bond. And we've had stories about um, Joanna Harwood not being part of the history mm. and the legacy and the memory of, of writing the, the original cinematic treatments for the James Bond franchise. So I think for me, I was thinking this morning, wow, like there is something here about women writing and telling the stories. Right. And it's, it's nice to be included in the world of James Bond um, as, as being co-creators and, and, and how we remember and how we talk about it.
0: As you mentioned Barbara Broccoli, Lisa. So she's given this story in many interviews where as a child growing up, she thought James Bond was a real person because he was always in, these, in their house mm. as a child. And they were t- he was talked about as a real person, as a child. Yeah. Um, I wonder how much of that is, Matilde is Barbara Broccoli. <laughs> wow. Let me tell you stories about James Bond. And I, I don't know how much of that bled into the concept of this film from her perspective, that James Bond is a myth to be told stories about.
4: So this is Barbara Broccoli's consciousness. Mm. There you go, storytelling right there. You no, know, I think that that's a really great point, though. About her. I don't think we I don't think we know or discuss enough her influence and her childhood influence, and then what that meant with her taking over and her, the way she has envisioned and propelled this franchise forward. And so, yeah, maybe she is the little girl in the car who's heard these stories. About the Mm -hmm. man, the myth, the legend, hearing all of these sort of these, these backroom stories, getting a very different history or personal history that most of the general public does not get in snippets. And then of course is the one to step forward and and tell, tell these tales.
0: So that then begs the question, if the tale has been told, what next?
4: Paloma (laughs) spinoff. Paloma, know me. Put them together. Give them last names. Why do my women not have last names? Throwing it out there. If, if you found them online, send them to me. But I, I love it when women have, you know, last names. But I would love to see a spinoff. And I am not alone in that.
1: Take my money now, I, please. <laughs> I agree. They were fantastic.
5: Before you do that, though, give her a decent backstory. Because it's one thing to be a sidekick in a movie. And it's another thing to be the leader of the tentpole. I mean, I agree that uh, Paloma was a great asset to this film, but like, there's not enough there until you develop it to make it into a full movie.
3: Well, wasn't Fleming's like, Bond yeah. about the man who was a silhouette, and, and, and isn't yep. isn't all this backstory mm-hmm. Craig shit sort of an albatross yeah. around the franchise's neck? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. we had to wait till Gold to get Bond's backstory.
3: I mean, Connery worked just fine without a ton of backstory. So I, I don't yeah, know how much he, he had a lot of charisma too. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay.
4: But I also think no. we have to be careful like, as somebody who studies women in action about overdoing backstories because usually what it means is we need to give this Assault extensive and narrative. Yeah, as to, yeah, exactly. Either it's she's a mother or she's a daughter or she's had some sort of trauma and all of this is leading her to be in this moment. Whereas oftentimes when men are on screen as action heroes, we might get some background into them. We had 20 some films of James Bond without getting the background and we accepted it as is. So we don't necessarily need that type of a background. So I think people would have like, I think people would have, will go to see this film just because they're like, holy crap, these women are awesome.
5: But well, you know what? I understand what you're saying, but on, and you don't need her complete life life's history when you're the sidekick. And when you do this stuff on the side, you can like, you can ham it up as much as you want. You know, it's it's a whole different thing. There's an like example take-
3: sitting right in front of us, though, Bill. You and you mentioned it earlier, Black Widow. Um, yeah, where she she served perfectly uh, in in I don't know how many damn movies she was in. She's in all movies, the Captain America yeah. movies, all the Avengers movies. But I don't know that giving her her whole backstory and whatnot improved it once she got her no. own film.
5: Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's like it it requires more thought. It's like. Oh, that'd be great. She's a great character. Like, how would that Jinx movie have been? Like, really? Apparently, the script is really good, but I've yet to see it. Yeah. Like, you know, okay. With with Jinx, you have a character who says things like, "I get the whatever." You know, it's just like, yeah, just like, can you really build a movie around that? They tried, and eventually, the studio said, "No, no, thanks." It's it's. I'm just saying, it's a lot harder than it sounds. Oh, like again. Paloma is like a great influence in this movie. Great presence, fine, but like it's like a lot harder to turn, you know, to create a Paloma movie than it, you know, you
1: know, from a few scenes. Sure, Uh, I I think I think that's where. Yeah, I think that's where these streaming services really shine, though, because now you've got Amazon Prime and Netflix and Apple TV that run these smaller spinoffs and can get away with it, and people will stream it and absolutely love it. So I'd be curious to see if something like that happens.
0: Well, if Dan Jack maintained control of it, it won't, because Barbara Rockley came out this week and said there's no way they're thinking of spinoffs. But they've said no to a lot of things and then done them, right? So who knows?
4: I yeah. think that if you're going to sit there and um, have Daniel Craig say we need to have stronger stories for women, so Bond cannot be a woman, and you have Barbara Broccoli coming out and saying we need to have better stories for women, but Bond can't be a woman, that maybe it's time to put your money where your mouth is and give us strong stories about women. Like I'm, I'm yeah, tired of I'm tired of having that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> like just and, give it to you know us.
5: The issue isn't what what Daniel Craig said because he's like following the talking points. It's like take it with Barbara Broccoli.
4: But I think yeah. it's also good to have men in the industry saying it, and somebody who represents this franchise. But yeah, I, mm-hmm. I I take issue really with with Barbara Broccoli not taking those steps forward, and and I've always and I've said this a few times through various media outlets. You know, you can champion women filmmakers, but when I look at all of the major creative Roles on your film, and I don't see a woman in any of the major spaces. Costume designer
0: doesn't count, right?
4: It doesn't count. Like we're talking about major creative roles, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge comes a little bit after the fact. You know, those are when you I open well, these questions. Like this could be a really great opportunity to bring in. Other creative talent and really push something forward that fans are just fans are just this is what fans got excited about with this movie. Yeah, I'm well, just it while the it bitch up. came
0: with an asterisk was Daniel Craig insisted on bringing her in. Although you know, su- success has many fathers.
5: Now everybody claims it as their idea.
0: Exactly. So that wasn't yes. a Barbara
5: Broccoli idea either to bring her in. <laughs> so right, right. Uh, you know, Fukunaga saying, "Oh, it's my idea too." Like, yeah, when, whenever it's whenever things are whenever things are going well, was my idea. Was well, my idea too? Like, you know. That's how it goes. How do we wrap this up, guys? Um... Can we talk about those, <laughs> the, the uh, uh, gun barrel? Oh, God. Yes, yeah, the, the one and a half gun barrels. Yeah, the U.S. got a different gun <laughs> barrel. Or is it one the and the a quarter? Because the first
0: one doesn't really count.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm curious which one I saw. I have no idea since well, I've only it, seen it if once. You saw,
5: well, if you saw in the U.S., you probably saw the MGM logo followed by the standard gun barrel. In international release, is like you had MGM and Universal and the, the globe logo of Universal became a dot and the dot moved off to the left and suddenly like the dot like comes off to the left to right. So like, yeah, it's like, yeah, that, that's all. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, you know MGM thing. are
0: ripping that shit off for of the Blu-ray, right? <laughs> <That> <laughs> Universal no dots well, going, also- <laughs> that, that's going, that's not going to be on.
5: there. Well, also here's all these guys who do like do these uh, YouTube videos, like evolution of the universal logo so like you know if they're in the u.s what i gotta get a copy of that (laughs) it's just anyway it's a minor point but yeah it's, it's it's more of a trivia thing than anything else
4: did you see the gun barrel in action sequence when he was in one of those tunnels and he turned around and he gave the James Bond pose and he shot. It was sort of a yeah. blink and you miss it moment when he was in. Yeah, you in don't the even collier. see the
5: guy he shoots. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was in the trailers. So it's like they've, they've been flogging that for like a year or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but yeah, very clearly that's based on the standard gun barrel.
4: I just and liked no, it.
0: And no <laughs> blood
5: in the in the traditional gun barrel. Yeah, I, I was just happy that uh, Craig Bond wasn't like, Swinging his arm, showing yes. his gun. He you know?
1: finally realized <laughs> behind the gun. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm walking the dog, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
5: Thankfully. And so some people said, oh, there's no blood. It's like, okay, I'm just glad he didn't like swing his gun hand.
2: And he's wearing a tux. Yeah. I mean, oh, is that his yeah. first one with a, a dinner yeah. jacket? Interesting. Yeah. First yeah. and only. First
5: and last. Yeah. As far as mm-hmm. we know.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because Craig because don't, don't, Craig don't. because don't, don't. Barbara
5: Broccoli <laughs> loves him so much, gets to have a customized gun barrel for every movie. Whereupon <laughs> you know, whereupon Brosnan has to, like, you know, the same gun barrel all all of his movies. Did he? So Yeah. This is the same that CGI one. bullet that they
3: stuck in uh
5: Well, it's a CGI bullet, but it's, you know, it's him the same, shooting, the same it's footage? It's the same thing. Yeah.
3: I wonder, like, what would you choose? I mean, I feel like you would want to do in your own, each uh, each one, you know, or do you pull the Connery move and go, oh, fuck it, Shin Bob the, Shimmons. Well, <laughs> well, the closest,
5: well, the closest thing that uh, uh, Brosnan got, there was a trailer. I think it was the, the World's Not Enough. He got a different gun barrel for the trailer only mm. because it was like a different pose shooting, but.
0: He got a different gun barrel for the world uh, for everything on earth in the video game, but that's kinda you
1: know,
5: Yeah.
0: That, since we yeah.
1: are uh since we are in America here, I've gotta go with uh Roger Moore because uh, he had the closest thing to an actual shooting stance in his gun barrel. Mm. Hold, you <laughs> yeah. know, holding yes. the gun with
5: with two hands. Yes. That's um because the whole thing about action heroes firing a gun with one hand and in some cases like almost like they're trying to like throw
3: the gun. Throw the bullet. I'd bring back that dropping on one knee move, though. So. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was and a hat.
1: How, how about how about the next Bond just lays down and shoots in a circle like yeah. Paloma did? Yeah, he, he rolls across the, <laughs> the, the opening. There you go. Know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> fa- yeah, falls to the
5: floor and then shoots at the con. Overhead shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: Uh, I like the gun barrel. It was cool. It was great seeing it at the beginning again. I the the But the thing is, anytime they make a change, suddenly I'm thinking about the change and I'm not being immersed. Some things you just sort of, you want the traditional table setting to kind of put your focus where it needs to be. But instead yeah. I was thinking about why is there no blood? You know, and I- Why is the knife and fork the wrong way around before I'm starting <laughs> this meal, right?
2: Exactly.
1: <laughs> oh, and, and, the, and the fading away of Bond mm-hmm. being a little bit f- foreshadowing, right? Yeah. Or the fact that he doesn't mm-hmm.
2: actually kill the person in yeah, the model of that too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I think we're reading a little bit too much into uh Carrie <laughs> Fukunaga not think, having I a think... match cut in red. I mean they could have matched cut into like a young a young Madeline drinking some like red juice. Right. And yeah. then you pouring
3: <laughs> the special medicine for her mom out of that, that box wine. There the, you blood, go. Yeah. the blood <laughs> oh. in the box. Fuck. Thank you you're welcome, Carrie. Could figure that out for you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you had the opportunity and you missed it you blew it you blew it oh, God.
5: well also we should also note real quick the, the Ian Fleming uh, quote at the end of the movie which is really a Jack well, London quote yeah Let's get that shit quote. Okay. Okay.
0: justice okay. Jack for Jack London, London by
5: way of Ian Fleming but yeah.
0: well I was reading around that and to be fair to Fleming to fair, I'm going to defend him on this one it was Mary Goodnight that stole it yeah
3: that's fair <laughs> She, Mary, you know, Mary didn't know how to attribute quotes. Right. <laughs> and yeah, London's she has okay, been paying but- for it ever since. <laughs>
1: <laughs> getting, getting to see so much Ian Fleming in a movie again, though, was uh, ha- after having so little. I mean, we did get to see Casino Royale, of course, but um, having read You Only Live Twice recently, that was phenomenal. It was really great tribute.
0: And, you know, before this film, a lot of people said the cupboard was bare for Fleming. Um, but there's not even a cupboard now.
5: <laughs> uh, there's stuff there's in there. There's a little bit at the back of the cupboard, which may, be, which may come with the next Bond. Uh, brainwashed Bond going to CM. <laughs> well, to him. I was going I to, th- I thought
0: Purvis and Wade using the M glass shield coming down was kind of reference with Safin going through the floor in the hatch.
3: Mm. I thought that was their
0: kind of adaptation of that. Push the button, disappear.
5: Maybe, but like, if if you really wanted to like, in the next Bond actor, you really wanted to kick him off. Like, I don't know him actually trying to kill him like for real. And then, you know, some, some kind of more 21st century, you know, device to stop it. That mm-hmm. would like that would get things off to a rousing start. It's a it's you know, a, that's a please. Uh,
1: oh, oh, I was just gonna say that's a really, really good point because you know, uh at, at the end of You Only Live Twice the book, you know, after he's got amnesia and has been um you know brainwashed and everything, what exactly happens? That would make a great movie. That time in between uh You Only Live Twice and when he returns at the beginning of The Man with the Golden Gun. Um, That would be phenomenal. It it, it hasn't been written yet. It hasn't been filmed yet. And that would make a great story.
0: Well, Well, If they hadn't had like four and five year gaps between these movies, Craig might have got there. Right. (laughs) Right. I think this film is the tipping point in the franchise where the next generation of Bond and filmmakers, their totem poles in the Bond franchise won't be Goldfinger. It'll be- The game. It'll be
3: Goldeneye. The game, not the movie. <laughs> yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. Um, seriously. It, it might not even be Goldeneye, it might be Casino Royale. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Or later. But yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And I, think, I think this is that this is
0: a transitionary film where we've got influences coming from Fleming in the sixty and films of the sixties into it. But I think the next one's gonna be, I hope a clean break. With a new generation of filmmakers, much like they did with Roger, and they just tried to stop referencing Connery, and they did their own thing. There's, you know, not an Aston Martin in sight in
3: seven films in yeah. a row. I mean, they have to, right? I, it, I just feel like you can't keep catering to the eight, same aging fan base. And and as much as I well, love this run, it's been very, uh, I've been very, very self aware about the fact that like. When we started, Craig was two years older than me. And then, thanks to this goddamn pandemic, like the guy I'm watching on the screen is the same age as me. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, like, you know, he, I, I caught up to him because of the pandemic. But so the next guy is going to be younger than me. That's just going to hit way different for me. And well, <laughs> well, Phil, I
5: have no sympathy for you whatsoever. <laughs> I'm going to become those like, lines, but I'm going to be but grouchy but about here's this the whole thing, thing. though. When it, terms, <laughs> when, it comes to determine, when it comes to cars, bond cars in the future, what the way the auto industry is going, I mean not going, it's like all the way up. it's really going, is like with electric vehicles. Like that's and the, a and, really the and the crap big, they got in the press yes. for,
0: for thinking of doing it this time. Yes.
5: Mm-hmm. Oh yes. Yeah, those yeah. were
0: the days when the controversy about this film was an electric asthma and that was the worst thing that was gonna be about this film. Yeah. Oh, those days. <laughs> Oh, yeah, those were the days. Those
5: were the days.
0: I guess in about two years we'll get people complaining about the fact that the Valhalla wasn't in the film. Um, I mean, we'll it, it is
2: in the film, but it doesn't drive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> much yeah, the like, much like the, the, much like the Aston Martin Valhalla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, the wind tunnel thing or whatever that well, is. It's not
0: even the real. It's not even the real car,
2: is it? but i th- i think we'll see a callback more to like you know 80s nostalgia from those films you know mm-hmm. obviously this was the first one that does that and of course you see that with the you know essentially the destruction of the of the db5 and bond basically in the uh main titles kind of dumping it in in, in the water it seems I don't, I don't know if that was like kind of the what they were getting at but uh then obviously going to a you know 1986 you know Aston martin vantage is is definitely i think where we it would be 80s and 90s nostalgia going forward in in future films um so melanie and tim um
0: what would you say your like capsule capsule experience review then is um to if if somebody came up to you on the street that knows you and said should i go see this
1: Absolutely, I. You know, um, even though I said like uh, part of it, I found corny, uh, which I will totally admit, and I know it did not hit everyone that way. That's just how it hit me. Um, I still had, I still had fun. It's still a Bond movie, uh, which I love. I love the action movies. I love the spy. I loved his story. I still felt it was a very appropriate ending for craig's bond um was this one of and and when you look at the entire uh bond series uh the entire franchise was this one of my favorite films No, but it was still an enjoyable, fun film. And as I said, the women were phenomenal. I I really wish, like this would be a film that I would want to take a group of my girlfriends to go see because they were just so great in it. Um, Unfortunately, uh, I took a group of my girlfriends to go see Quantum that was a mistake <laughs> if, I, if I could do things differently no um but no I mean I I still really enjoyed it and I mean as far as the the Craig films goes I mean I think um Casino was my favorite and again because that's uh, I'm a Fleming fan I felt like they were very true to the novel they did a great job um translating that for the screen that would be my favorite of his films and I think this would rank very closely behind um So, yeah, I would agree, I think. And then just in looking to the future, since this is kind of the American edition, uh, Mm -hmm. I think as an American, one thing that I would love to see, I would love to see James Bond in like D.C. going on some type of mission with uh, Felix or something like that. Bring him back to America. Um, I would love that, you know, um, not,
0: not Miami airport slash Prague. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I would like to, or, or him going down to Texas to meet up with a uh, lighter, you know, um, I loved seeing that, uh, relationship. Um, I'll tell you, Felix's death really hit me harder than bonds did. Mm-hmm. Um, in this film, it really did. I got more emotional over that than, um, than you know, our, our hero, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I would I would love to see something like that in the future. Um and dare I say it, maybe 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 one day we will actually see an American actor as James Bond. You I know have. I'm going to no. you, know. you already have
0: Daniel Craig's an American, American citizen, citizen when he made this film.
1: Oh, uh, okay. Technicality here. <laughs> Come on now, fellas. <laughs> oh,
5: Barry Nelson. Excuse me. <laughs> Barry
1: Nelson, right.
5: <laughs> you need
0: somebody eligible to be, eligible to be president to play J. Whoa. Uh, mm. But
1: I don't know. I would. I... I, so many people have been asking me, like, who I would like to see as James Bond moving forward, and I would love like a Ryan Reynolds sort, who does great uh. action, who is funny, who's good looking, just checks every box for me. Um, but like I said, as an American, that's kind of what I would like to see going forward. But yeah, absolutely, I'd recommend it to my friends. It was a good film. I Kay. would say no.
2: <laughs> no, actually, I, no, I, I would say no, absolutely go see it, whether you're a casual Bond fan or a, um, you know, hardcore Bond fan. You're just you, you've watched every film 50 times, you, you know, dissected each and every frame, you, you know, like no matter who you are, go see you No know, Time to Die. Um, and, and, and honestly, you know, with with everything that's, you know, in it, you know, there's something you know, and as we've seen from our discussion today, it's like, you know, there's something everyone can take from it that they loved even if they didn't love the film as a whole from beginning to end, there are great elements for everybody. And I think that's what makes, you know, um, the bond fandom so great is that like, we can have these differences of opinion and still, you know, sit down and discuss bond on a, you know, on an intellectual level. And also, you know, just on a, you know, I guess just as, you know, friends, you know, and and I think that's, you know, kind of what brings us together uh, at the end of the day. And I think this mm. film really, uh, speaks to that, um, as well. And you, you kind of even see it in, in the last, uh, scene, uh, or second to last scene of the film, uh, when they're all, you know, kind of, uh, uh, memorializing, you know, uh, Bond in, in M's office and, you know, they pour the the glass of, you know, whiskey for him. It's like, that's, you know, you know, that, that's, that's what, that's what it's about. And, you know, i think some people are going to kind of mourn this death but you know if you stay to the end of the credits you know you know that bond will be back in some kind of iteration you know going forward no matter what
0: definitely said tim and i think that wraps us up for this week so um welcome and thank you for joining us melanie and tim for the first time and as usual phil bill and lisa and we'll see you next week
5: take care
1: thank you <laughs> bye. bye thanks so much for having me
5: yeah thanks goodbye